I feel like I do wish more young people stayed in Wyoming, whether you're of color or not. I feel like in some ways it's my duty or responsibility to my students who are coming from, you know, from all over Wyoming to be like, no, there are people of color that grew up here and we stayed here and we love it here. And I think that's, I, I don't know, I, I want to add to the diversity here. I feel like if everybody left, we would be even worse off. I'm Lindsay Linton Buck, and you're listening to Women in Wyoming, where I talk with inspiring and influential women around the state and learn about their lives, journeys, and how they got to where they are today. Part two, Nina McConigley, Nimi's daughter. Nina is a professor at the University of Wyoming and an award-winning author whose work deals with identity, race, and the immigrant experience in the rural West. Here's Nina. When did you know that you wanted to become a writer? I don't think I ever had a moment where I thought I, I want to become a writer. As a kid, my mom would never let us buy presents for any holiday or for birthdays. And so she would, she said we had to make something. And as a kid, I would always write a story for her because it just seemed like that was what I knew how to do. And I read a lot as a kid. So writing stories seem very natural, but I never thought of it as something I wanted. I would want to do. I wanted to be an archaeologist. I wanted to be a journalist, which I guess is a writer, but a different kind. I never, I never wanted to be write books. But I think in college, I, I was a straight up English major. I just didn't. I never took a creative writing class. I wasn't that interested in creative writing. But it was after college. My first job was I was in insurance. I worked insurance, which is hilarious to think of now. I had a cubicle. I was everything. And this was in Minneapolis where I'd gone to college and I started feeling really awful doing an insurance job. And so I ended up taking like a night community class, a creative, my intro to creative writing, intro to fiction. And it was, you know, I think 20 people in the class. It was a big class. And that was the first time I started writing stories. And I don't know that I said I want to be a writer, but I thought, God, I really love doing this and this makes me happy and I need to quit doing insurance. I love that story because, yeah, it's it's not always a straight path, and just that visual of you sitting in an insurance office is really hard to hard to imagine. Yeah, and it was funny because I had a cubicle mate, and he was this guy. You know, I was twenty one at the time, twenty two. I was pretty young, and he was in his forties, which I thought was old at the time. His cubicle was just covered in pictures of golf courses, and. We didn't really talk that much because they didn't encourage us to talk in this workplace. And I remember asking him one day, I'm like, oh, do you just really like to golf? And he said, no, my my dream is to be a, a greenskeeper on a golf course. I would love to take care of the grass. And I was like, you should do it. And he was like, I can't. Like, I have a mortgage and kids. And he's like, I'll be working here till I retire. And I thought, that will be me if I don't quit this job and, and try to, to write I'll be like this guy like 20 years from now saying, I had a novel in me. I wish I was, I wish I had pursued it. So and that was the moment for you where it was that like, yeah. hard-hitting moment. Yeah. But I don't think I even felt like a writer till I actually held my book for the first time. And the day the, the box arrives and you kind of pick it up and you, you hold the physical object that's your book. I think that was the day I was like, okay, I'm a writer. All the process along there, I didn't, I just was filled with massive self-doubt and, <laughs> and just, un, you know, just being really unsure. So what was the process like for you getting that first workout, Cowboys and East Indians? For me, I mean, I did an MFA. I had a lot of, st- of the stories that are in the book from my MFA, and I started publishing them slowly after I graduated. And 
I think before the book came out, seven out of the 10 stories had been in magazines. So quite a few of them had been published. Um, But it was a slow process. I mean, anyone who's a writer who does anything artistic knows it takes a lot of time. So I had to sign with an agent. That took a while. Once I signed with my agent, it took two years to sell the book. Short story collections are really, really hard to sell. I mean, it was like two years of the nicest rejections you could possibly get that were like, we love this book. We wish it wasn't short stories. And that was pretty much how every (laughs) rejection ended. They were like, come back with her novel. And that was a long process because I didn't have a novel. I wasn't working on a novel and I felt pretty discouraged, but I really loved my book and I knew I loved my book. And even though it took two years, you know, it wasn't an overnight thing at all. I really kept thinking like, I may be delusional, but I I love these stories. I love this book. And, you know, I kept thinking it will hopefully find a home someday. And, And it did. It still turned out as this collection of short stories, despite you getting those rejection letters of people telling you to change it. You know, why did you hold on to that vision? I think so. I just think something in me knew. I mean, it just wasn't, I hadn't read a book like my book. And I thought it's a story about the West that I don't think people think of. I mean, as I've toured and gone around with the book, so many people are like, oh, you're from Wyoming. And what? You're from Wyoming. I mean, they just can't wrap their head around that there's a person of color from Wyoming who writes about Wyoming and writes about a very different Wyoming. So I just knew it was a story that hadn't been told. I mean, and and don't get me wrong. I look at certain stories in the book now a couple years out and I think, oh, I would change that now or I wouldn't have written it that way. But um, for where I was as a writer at that time, that was the best book I could write. And it was, I thought it was good, but it was a, it was a hard road because, you know, it came out with a really small press, which was great for me, but it, until it won pen, it really, even though I liked it, I wasn't sure other people would have liked it or read it. And what was the time frame between when you published it and you won the Pen Open Book Award? So it was almost eight months. And it had been a fine eight months. I had, you know, read it a few places very modestly. I had a lot of writer friends that were great and helped me out that way, invited me to their universities. But it certainly wasn't selling very much. And it was pretty, it was pretty quiet, which is fine. I think a lot of books, that's their life. And I wasn't disappointed because I just thought, I have a book. I mean, again, that's the moment I felt like I was a writer when I held it and saw it and had it. So I know everyone always says that, but I really, really, really didn't think I would win pen. So it was just like this amazing <laughs> bonus of, of and total, total surprise. And how did that change things after you won that award for your book and for you? as a writer. I mean, it just gives your book a whole different life. I mean, it was like, it felt like my book was published again after I won pen because all of a sudden people were Facebooking about it and tweeting about it and covering it. And a lot of books with small presses don't get reviewed because the way the book publishing industry works, you have to have these advanced reader copies that come out months before your book is published. And most small presses can't afford to do that. It's just too expensive. And that's the only way your book gets reviewed is if someone gets it way in advance. So I didn't have hardly any reviews when the book came out. It was pretty quiet. And then all of a sudden, yeah, people were reading it. And that was just the just people I didn't know were reading it. (laughs) That was, you know, just it was pretty funny to like get on Goodreads or other places and be like, oh, I actually don't know that person. And they read my book. It sounds exciting. Sounds like an exciting time. Yeah, it was good. And then I was on an Oprah list. And I think that combination of, I mean, Oprah's pretty magical with what her list can do. So that combination of Oprah and Penn were really made the book do do well for a short story collection. I love your book, Nina. And you have such an amazing way of giving these 
different characters, their own distinct personality and voice, whether they're a man or a woman. And how do you do that? What is your process like? How do you get inside the heads of these different characters? I mean, I think in some ways, I have it easier than someone like Stephen King. I mean, he has to like get in the head of like vampires or something, you know, like I, they are just normal people. But I feel like, especially with short stories, it's been really different right now because I'm working on a novel. The great thing about short stories is you do get, I have 10 stories in the book and I have 10 different lenses to look at Wyoming, whether it be, you know, sort of young women like me who are either biracial or adopted or a little bit confused about their identity or an older white man who works on a rig. I I guess they're all, they all are people I've known in Wyoming, certainly. So I feel like that's like, I actually don't feel like I'm that imaginative. <laughs> I feel like they're, they're all people I know. But I definitely, you know, had my, my dad fact-checked my geology story. And there are versions of my mother, I think, in almost every story in the book. Or a character like my mother who comes in in every, almost every story of the book. I mean, she is a huge amount of how my experience of being Indian has been taught to me. I mean, we didn't grow up with a lot of other Indian people here. So she is a lot for me the way I know my Indianness. So I think she is in almost every story in some way, shape, or form. And she definitely read early drafts. My parents are my first readers. So she read early drafts. She definitely approved or signed off, so to speak. One of my favorite stories is actually the very first story, which is the chapter Cowboys and East Indians. Mm-hmm. And it's about an Indian woman mm-hmm. who doesn't necessarily feel very Indian mm-hmm. and could you tell me a little bit about that story and where that comes from? At that time, when I wrote that story, that's an older story. I had just started teaching at University of Wyoming as a grad as a graduate student. I wasn't a professor or anything. And I hadn't been at UW. I didn't go there for undergrad. And I, it was really interesting to me to be around a group of Indian students for the first time. And I was pretty excited for that. Unlike the character in my book, in that story, who, who doesn't really 100% connect with them, I did connect with them. They were quite great and, and gracious. But I think and these are students that were directly from India. Yeah, students directly from India. It, it was very apparent to me that I was also quite different from them, even though we all looked the same. I don't speak an Indian language. Culturally, we're just very different. And so I think a little bit, I was a little sad that I, I, I wasn't, you know, best friends with them right away. Again, nothing like the, the level of isolation my character feels. But I was thinking about that idea of what makes you connect with people, because I certainly feel like I connect with I connect with Wyoming people more than like, say, someone who lives in New York City. Like we all have the cultures that we connect with. So I was thinking about that in that story. And then also at the same time, I did have a student who it was one of my very first semesters teaching and she was Indian and or of Indian origin, I should say. She was from, I can't remember where she was from, but she was from a rural background in Wyoming and she had been adopted. I was really fascinated by her because the first day she walked into class and she was dressed very much like a cowgirl. She had cowboy boots and certain clothing that I would say cowgirls wear. I asked her like, are you from India? And, and she said, I was adopted. And I said, do you have any interest in you know, Indian culture or anything. And she said, no, I mean, she just didn't. And that's totally fine. You do not have to have that interest. But I just, I I sort of in my head couldn't help but start making a little bit of a narrative for her in the back of my head. So, I mean, it was, I mean, maybe that's not fair, but I, I think as writers, we do that. We tend to, to see people or strangers and make up stories of what's going on in their head. Well, I think that's a really fascinating insight into your process. And <laughs> is that where the inspiration for your, where, where does the inspiration for your stories, where does it come from? You know, all different places. I mean, I, ca- I carry a little notebook with me. 
Um, though these days I use my phone notes more than I use a notebook. And I don't know, just I just jot down little things that are interesting to me that I see. And sometimes they just stay in my mind for a long time. I mean, certain incidents from childhood. I remembered when I was a kid that my mom had entered a dress a doll competition i remembered that dress a doll like she had like you had to dress a doll with it was at the wyoming national bank and you had to dress a doll in some sort of costume of the world and i remembered my mom had dressed this this doll and i remembered that as a kid now i don't remember if it was a contest i don't remember anything else about it i just remember she dressed a doll in a sari and it was at the bank and i don't and i was really little i was probably five or six when she did that happened and Again, I don't remember any of the specifics. And I didn't even ask my mom the specifics when I started to write a story about it because I thought if some ways, if I know exactly what was happening, it ruins the story for me because I'll be wanting to stick to facts. But in my brain, then I started creating a character who was not an Indian person, just a Wyoming woman who was dressing a doll. And she was up in competition with this other Indian woman. And, you know, that story came out of just... Again, this little nugget of something that I remembered from a kid, but I didn't, again, I don't even know. I've actually never asked my mom, what was, why did you dress a doll and why was it at the bank? It was just that little piece of something that, that came into a story. And what is your process like when you get that little nugget and then you start writing about it? How does it unfold? I don't write every day. I never have. I've never, never been that kind of writer. I know that loads of writing books say you need to put your your in the chair every day and you need to write. I never, ever have been like that. So I'm really, I'm a really bingy writer. I'll go long stretches without writing. And then I have a really productive, crazy few weeks where I don't emerge for because I'm writing. But I think because I don't write every day, I think about a story for so long in my head. And especially because I drive between Casper and Laramie so much. I always jokingly call that my writing time because I'll be thinking about writing almost the whole time. So even though I don't write every day, when I sit down to write, it comes really quickly, usually, and usually pretty cleanly. I do not get me wrong. I do not have perfect first drafts, but I usually have first drafts that are pretty solid because I've thought about it so much in advance. So let's shift gears and talk about your novel because you're working on that now. And why write a novel, shift gears from short stories, and what has the process been like for writing it? I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know that I'm a novelist. I think the market in publishing sort of expects that if you have a short story collection and it does okay, that your next book will be a novel. Novels are just easier to sell. So there wasn't a question that I would just start working on a novel. I don't know that I naturally am a novelist and it's been really difficult. What, what has been difficult about it? Well, short story. I mean, you, you have, have a problem in the, in a short story and, and it's, you know, at the most 23 or 22 type pages. For me, my stories sort of average about that. I think the longest one I have is 24 pages. So if you rip apart one thing and you have, it's really not that big of a deal. A novel, <laughs> if you change, if something falls apart to change it or to go back, I mean, it's hundreds of pages to fix. And that is hard. And it's been a very different writing process for me. And I've, I haven't given up on it several times, but there have definitely been several times where I have just been like, I cannot work on this book anymore. And I just put it aside and go a few months without touching it. It's a real love hate relationship. I mean, I, I look at it and there, it definitely is the best writing I've ever done in it, but there's also just in terms of structure, it has been really hard. And it's so funny because I teach writing and I can see it with other people's books, like how you put structure in or how you fix it. With my students, I see it all the time. But God, for yourself, it's just really strange how you just can't see it. Let's talk about your work itself with the novel and the short stories, mm -hmm. because you talk a lot about 
race and you talk about the experience of the other and mm-hmm. in particular for your first book, Cowboys and East Indians in the rural West, are those themes transferring over to the novel? They are. I mean, I feel like I haven't fully explored this. And so I wanted to write a novel. I mean, I, I've had people say to me like, oh, aren't you going to write about something different? And and yeah, I have an idea for a third book that doesn't take place in Wyoming. And, and that's fine. But I mean, honestly, I don't feel like I've 100% tapped what I wanted to tap. I feel like a novel is just such a bigger space to write about more stuff. And I, you know, I'm half Indian and I live in Wyoming. So those things massively inform my experience. So that's probably is what I'm going to write about. You either write what you know, or you write what you want to know about. For me, I want to write what I know. <laughs> I mean, maybe as I get better at writing, I'll, I'll be more adventurous. I'm really, I, I'm in huge admiration of novelists whose books are all so different, but I don't think for me right now, that's what I want to do. You grew up mm-hmm. in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. What has your experience been like being half Indian growing up in the rural West and specifically Wyoming? I would say my experience on the whole is really great. I mean, I think if you have a childhood in Wyoming, it's oftentimes very magical. You can still wander really freely and the land and, and being outside is such an important part of childhood. And, you know, the downside of that is growing up, I never, ever saw a reflection of myself and I never, ever saw other people that look like me beyond my sister and my mother. And, you know, occasionally we didn't know Indian families or people, but not really. You know, I think my mother, our experiences are so different because even though she did go to British schools and she did, I mean, later as a, as an adult moved to Wyoming, a lot of her childhood and formative years were around other Indians. I mean, she certainly, she spoke Tamil with her family and she had a very Indian experience. And for me, it just wasn't like that. I just didn't have that. And so just as the way it was, it certainly seeped into my psyche. I won't want to say I was victimized or, you know, it's, oh, woe is me, but it definitely is an experience to walk into a classroom and pretty much always be the only brown person. When you grow up, never, ever seeing anybody like you, it's, it's just a different experience. And It's silly, but even right now in pop culture, Miss New York won Miss USA and she was uh, Miss America, one of the pageants, and she was Indian. I, I wept at that moment because as a kid, I always watched Miss America and all of those women looked kind of the same. And it, to see like an Indian woman win it just felt a, like it felt really big to me. And I, even now just to turn on sitcoms and see Indian people not being the sidekick, but being the main stars, that didn't, that wasn't my experience growing up. And so it just, it just, I don't know. I think that can't not affect you in some way. And again, I'm not saying it affected me in this super negative way, because it certainly gave me a lot to write about, <laughs> which is good, but it definitely I was aware of it very much that I was different. Why choose to stay in Wyoming, especially now with the success of your book? You could probably go anywhere. Well, I don't know if I go anywhere. But yeah, I mean, I've definitely been asked to apply for several other jobs in other places. And I don't have the desire to leave. Like I, I like being close to mountains and prairie and space. And I also just love Wyoming people. They're my people. You know, we talk a lot about the brain drain of young people leaving Wyoming and, and le- not wanting to be here because they don't think there's jobs. I, not that I feel like it's my responsibility, but I feel like 
I do wish more young people stayed in Wyoming, whether you're of color or not. I feel like in some ways it's my duty or responsibility to my students who are coming from, you know, from all over Wyoming to be like, no, there are people of color that grew up here and we stayed here and we love it here. And I think that's, I I don't know, I want to add to the diversity here. I feel like if everybody left, we would be even worse off. So I want to add to that. But that being said, I'm really lucky because I'm in a very privileged position that because of my book, I travel so much. So I get to, I do get to have my city experience several times a year. I do get to travel and go to other places. And I'm always, I'm always really happy to come home. And there are days I think I walk out and I think, God, I just would really love to see more people that look like me. But okay, I don't see people that look like me, but I see a lot of people that have the same sensibility as me about place and land. And I mean, that's why I love teaching Wyoming students. We get it. Like we all like get this. Like we, and don't get me wrong, I have plenty of students who are like, I'm getting out of Wyoming the minute I graduate. And I'm like, you'll be back. That was me. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You'll be back. You'll come back. Um, But maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, like to go experience something else and then choose to come back here, which I did. You know, I went to grad school elsewhere. I lived... In the meantime, I lived in India, I lived in London, I lived in a lot of other places. And and it really, for me, knowing that I made the choice to come back. And also, I this sounds cheesy, but I really like being close to my family. I mean, I am really close with my parents and I love my mom and dad. And I, I can't imagine only seeing them on holidays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the fact that it's just a quick two hour, a little less than two and a half hour drive and I can be home. That's priceless. And I guess in that way, I'm really Indian because culturally Indian children often live with their parents or stay with their parents. So I like being close to my family. You're really close with your mom. What was it like growing up with Mimi as your mama? (laughs) I mean, again, I didn't know anything different. I thought all Indian women were like her. You know, she's a very, very strong person and she has a really big personality and she's not afraid of anyone. I think in that way, I sort of grew up being much more like my dad, much more shy, much more. um, My mom and sister are really big personalities. I think I've always been quieter. But I always grew up being really proud of her. There are ways that people, of course, look at my mom and admire her. Like she was news director. She was in the legislature. She has a lot of professional accomplishments. But I mean, I think for me, my mom is one of the kindest people I know, the sort of smaller things she did through church and through helping people. And she's always just been so kind at the most random people. And I think, why? And I think that's the kind of lessons I really have learned from her. And I think in that way, I'm very much like her. I'll never be as big of a personality as she is. You know, the first time I had my book launch, it was here in Casper. Of course, she organized it. So there was over 300 people. I like walked in. I was so overwhelmed by the sheer numbers of people. The book had been out, I think, a week or something. I got up to read. I started crying promptly, which, of course, is just typical of me. I was shy. And then I just was absolutely mortified by such a big crowd. And I was also overwhelmed with just like seeing everybody from my life there in Casper. And, you know, I, I think I sat down after like eight minutes. I just didn't have anything in it in me. And my mom just finished. <laughs> she just got up there and just... <laughs> basically finished my reading for me you know in that way that was fine because I that's just I've never I just like living a much more shadowed quiet life where no one really knows who I am so it's been an adjustment it's been funny with the book doing so well like having to actually be much more less of a private person and much more out in the world and that's really hard for me it's very natural for her have Um, you gotten more comfortable with it 
yeah, I just I think I've done it more now. And I love going to universities. I love I love being with students. I still think I'm awkward in other ways. But you do realize the life of a writer. I wish it was back in the day where you can just like, you know, be locked up in an attic writing your book and and never have to do anything more. But, you know, in this day and age with publishing, it's not that way. You have to like have a social media presence and you have to, yeah, you have to read and you have to be really not personable. I'm sure I could still be curmudgeonly and it's a different publishing world. So you do have to be out there a little more. It really unnerves me a little bit during readings when people are videoing or taking pictures. I mean, everything is just so much more public. I don't love that. But you know, and my mom would love that. Like she's just, again, just sort of fearless and doesn't mind. And I mean, I'm sure to some degree she does worry about what people think about her, but I don't think she really does. She just kind of does her thing and mm-hmm. in a way that I think I, I fret a little more than she does. Even though I'm not 100% like her, I think certainly it was a great role model to see that you just can't care about what people think. You just have to go. And, um, and also you have to try for everything. I mean, she just... I mean, she just throws her hat into everything and, and does it. And I, I think, oh, I don't even want to try that because I might fail. She doesn't have that worry. I think if anything, she's made me a lot more willing to like, yeah, apply for things or try for things. Whereas my natural instinct is, oh, I won't get that. I won't, that won't work out. Let's go back to your writing and just when you're in the moment and when you're writing, mm. what underlying it all, what mm. are you trying to say? It, this sounds like a really vague answers that sounds like oh writing's magical and I have no idea but it is kind of a little magical and I don't have any idea I don't ever go into a short story and think I'm gonna write a short story that has to do with race or I'm gonna have to write a short story that has to do with identity usually it's just some again some snippet of something that happened and it's oftentimes when you like weave the story together and the whole thing's done and you're reading it that you're like oh that was what I was trying to say I think when I sit down, it's that I want to tell a story. That's what I'm trying to do, just to tell an interesting story. And that's what I tell my students, like, tell an interesting story. I don't think I sit and think, okay, this is the moral I want someone to take away. Or, I mean, I didn't write my book and think, I'm going to write Cowboys and East Indians and have people come away with this, like, really moralistic lesson about identity and, and race and rural immigrant experience. I never was thinking that. It wasn't until I put all the stories together that I was like, okay, I see that. But I I don't know that I I have like an agenda, certainly when I sit down and write, it just sort of comes out mysteriously. And I think it's, you know, what's in your subconscious. It just seeps into the page in some, in some ways. To allow yourself mm-hmm. to just be in that moment mm-hmm. to create, I think mm-hmm. is a very rare skill. It's, and it's a rare, I mean, believe me, it's actually a rare moment where you're so in the story and so tuned out of the world. I mean, I wrote a lot of my book most of my book before like Facebook or any of that stuff. So it, I just have so much more noise in my life now. Yeah. So God writing when you're actually in it is just such a, it's just so separate from everything else and really does feel kind of magical when it's going well, really awful when it's going badly. But and you can feel that when it's working and when it's not. Yeah, yeah for sure. And I, but oftentimes I don't realize it's not working until after I, and I read back or I put it aside for a few days and I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that didn't work. It's a mysterious process and I don't, I hate that I, because I teach writing so I really shouldn't be like, it's kind of mysterious, but it is kind of mysterious mm. <laughs> how certain stuff comes together. What would be your number one piece of advice for someone that wants to become a writer? A writer? I mean, this sounds so cheesy, but be a good reader. 
I mean, I think the reason I'm a good writer is that because I read so much as a kid. My mom took us to Natrona County Library every single week. It was clockwork. We would check out books and I would read all week. It often makes me laugh when I especially have undergrads. Oh, you want to be a writer? Who do you like to read? And they're like, oh, nobody. And I'm like, but wait, what? Because I just don't think, I guess I'll be prescriptive. I don't think you can be a good writer if you do not read. I think that's just bizarre to me. So I always tell my students, you better be reading and reading a lot. I don't give the advice of writing every day. I don't, if you're reading every day, that's good. I mean, I count that as writing time. It seeps in there and it makes you a better, it makes you a better writer. You know, also just, I meet so many people when I'm, when I'm traveling that say, oh, I, you know, I think everyone thinks they have a great book in themselves, which probably everyone does. I mean, Flannery O'Connor said, that if you survive childhood, you have enough to write about for the rest of your life. So people are good. They all got a book. Many, many people come up to me and they're like, I have this great story I'm going to tell you. I can't write it, but you can write it. Actually, I don't want to write it. Oh, thank you. But no, I think actually just finding the time, I think it can be an excuse to not say you have time. That was author Nina McConaughey. If you like what you hear, Listen and subscribe at womeninwyoming.com, where you'll also see Nina's full profile and portraits, as well as more stories about how Wyoming women shape the West. We're also on Instagram at womeninwyo. This project is supported in part by the Wyoming Humanities Council and the Equipoise Fund. Momentum is our nonprofit fiscal sponsor. I'm Lindsay Linton Buck, and you've been listening to Women in Wyoming. Women in Wyoming.